Would you like to say something to the class before we begin? Hi, everybody. How did you burn? I mean, you know how it is. How did you burn? Fucking rolling whatnot. I'm gonna steal a declaration of independence. I wouldn't make you out to be a burglar, not that outfit. Put the bunny back in the box. Alright, now loosen up. I'll be damned if I didn't get really turned on. Welcome back to Subsequent Movie Podcast, Kajolta Club, episode 17 of this series of the show, where we have just watched uh, what I think is probably by some distance the longest movie uh, we've done yet, but one that certainly did not feel like the two and a half hours that it runs for. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Ryan, Pulp Fiction, it turns out, for all of the uh, the maybe not great things about Quentin Tarantino, uh, this movie is still is still pretty great, honestly. Yeah, uh, yeah, still still pretty good. I don't think I've seen this in years, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. been at least, I would say, I don't know if it was before I went to, like, college or anything like that. I don't think it's been that long, but it's at least been about, like uh three years or so since the last time i saw this i i'd say maybe longer than that probably like four or five um i i uh i liked it i really did i um i definitely liked parts of it less than i did in the past when i watched this movie sure but but overall pretty good and god forgive me for saying this but i think travolta is one of the strongest performances in this whole movie yeah i i would go as far as to say i think this is probably his best performance yeah uh, that we've seen um granted that's not a terribly high bar you know he's been in like one actually like good movie that we've seen so far but (laughs) uh you know this is this is a movie that um has quite a reputation and i think he kind of carries it him and sam jackson right like they oh for sure they do the heavy lifting and like you would expect sam jackson to be like able to do that but travolta holds his own here and Mm -hmm. you you don't expect it from him but like there's an actor in there it turns out it's it's bizarre (laughs) yeah who'd have thought huh after all (laughs) these movies uh we finally find an actor in him and his like career revivalist film right like after he is kind of stooped to making staying alive making like three look who's talking sequels just making a lot of crap and tarantino kind of you know pulls him out of the muck so to speak for this film and it's really incredible how well he does in this movie i am when I think of this film, I mostly think of the uh, the Jules and the Vincent stuff, right? Yeah. And we can um we can get into that as we sort of parse through this, but I was pretty happy how much I still enjoyed this going back to it to be honest. Like I was really worried that, you know, after after becoming aware of its sort of reputation kind kind of as it's become this like 
loop around film bro meme where it went from like a groundbreaking movie to being like film school meme to being like whatever it is today, right? The movie, the movie is still uh, qu- quite good for the most part. Obviously, some caveats that I think we'll get into, some problems I had with it. But like you said, for for a two hour and thirty minute film, uh, I, it does go by pretty quickly, all things considered. Right? Right. Like it goes by much faster than much shorter movies that we've watched. Yes, um, absolutely. Like, you compare this to Deadfall and how long it felt to watch that or, you know, uh, Staying Alive or Saturday Night Fever or Urban Cowboy, which felt like it was never ending. Like, Mm -hmm. it just breezes by. It's it's really well paced. It's really well thought out. And like you said, like, I was nervous going into this because I haven't seen this probably since I was a teenager maybe Mm -hmm. maybe like when i was in like my first year of college would have been the last time i'd seen this over a decade ago probably yeah and uh yeah there's there's just a lot about tarantino and his stuff that like yeah it's it's like this movie kind of falls in the same kind of category for me as like fight club where if somebody is like really into it i'm kind of like uh-huh. Are you into it because of reasons you should be into it, or are you into it because <laughs> you've taken all the exact wrong lessons from this, or what? Sure, like, sure, totally, but, totally. Yeah, but like going back and finding out that no, this is actually just like a really well-made movie, and like for the most part, really good. Still, like I'm, mm-hmm. I- I'm both relieved and happy, and just like. I, I I did not remember that it was two and a half hours long, and that's no, always me something that causes you. <laughs> you know, you pulled you pulled up the stream for Pulp Fiction at like eight thirty p.m. Central Time. I saw that it was almost like two hours and forty minutes, and I thought I was going to die. But yeah. um, it is uh, it, it went by quickly. You know, no complaints there. Uh, just just an overall really easy really pleasant experience for me personally right i am i think i've told this story before on this podcast when when discussing this film this was like one of the first r-rated movies i had ever seen right Mm -hmm. i i grew up in a household where my parents saw this in the theater and were like obsessed with it right and so I I grew up a lot around like quotes from this movie, like the soundtrack of this movie, just just like having it sort of woven into my cultural existence, you know, from a very like <laughs> a pretty early age, right? Mm-hmm. Like like this is not necessarily a movie you should be quoting around your small child, but nonetheless, you know, it it, it definitely happened. And so this and Tarantino's movies, uh, Kill Bill, were like kind of the first step for me into what I would call quote unquote adult cinema, right? Like like adult movies like this, uh, Kubrick's The Shining, probably. Mm-hmm. And then like <laughs> the Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd adaptation of Borat. Like those were <laughs> those were the five that are kind of in that pantheon for me, you know, Um 
And so this movie had like a huge, huge impact on me. And like, even before I'd seen it and watching it, I think it would be easy to say that for me, like a lot of, a lot of people who are of an age and see this film, it's one of those things that inspired me to like get into the craft of filmmaking, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is a, this is a movie you see at a formative age. Uh, You know, it's aged a little bit, but it's just doing so much with like structure and, and screenwriting and characters and the cinematography and all that, that you watch this when you're like, you know, 14 or 15 or whatever. And it just, it just blows your mind. Right. And like you said, I think that um, there are some people who never really grow out of that and that, you know, causes its own problems in some degree, but um, it would be, I think, Remiss of me to say that this movie was not like a big inspiration uh, for me going into the world of film. And so coming back to it and learning that for the most part, it's like, you know, 85% as good as I remember is is very, you know, reassuring in a particular way. Yeah, like I, I, I kind of feel like I had sort of a similar-ish, like... um background with this movie i guess like i'm Mm -hmm. like four or five years older than you which in internet years is like 25 (laughs) years um yeah like like two decades Uh yeah so like when i would have first sort of seen this movie you're probably Uh talking like oh five oh six i would have been 15 16 maybe 14 sure yeah um Mm -hmm. and like at the time it was sort of like one of the first like mainstream like meme things on the internet was Sam Jackson in this movie and the oh, bad totally. motherfucker yeah. and everything like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I actually remember, I, I'm pretty sure this is the second Tarantino movie I ever saw because I'm pretty sure I saw this probably actually around the exact same time I saw death proof. Um, oh, interesting. And, okay. And I, I remember, um, getting a copy of Pulp Fiction because a, a newspaper in Ireland used to give away just, like, oh. classic movies on these, like, shitty DVDs. Love um, that, okay. Once, once in a while. And so I got, like, Pulp Fiction. I remember there was, like, a Conan the Barbarian one. Oh, there was, fuck yes. There was, okay. like, a bunch of those, like, late 80s, early 90s movies that they were giving away for a while, which is how I wound up seeing Pulp Fiction, they might have actually given it away, like, as mm-hmm. a promotion thing, like, when Grindhouse was coming out, that might have been it. So, sure. like, ver- in a very short space of time, I became aware of this movie via, like, the meme of it on the internet to seeing it and seeing Death Proof around the same time, and so it was definitely one of those, like, firsts formative experiences i had with the movie as well where it was like oh you can kind of do a narrative in a different way like you don't have to structure everything in chronological order or you don't have you can you know break things up into vignettes and you know you can play Mm -hmm. with the format a little bit so it was definitely one of those things that also for me was like this sort of formative uh film experience and like you i'm pretty relieved that most Mm -hmm. of it is held up i think i 
maybe have this like or going into this i had this sort of slight derision for it oh, sure. or, or like yeah, contempt totally, for totally. it because of the like memes and the bad motherfucker thing being all over the internet when i was like 14 and 15 and just going like oh that was fucking lame like i might uh-huh. as well like have a bill <laughs> murray profile picture or something exactly like, you know, yeah like, yeah it, it occupies that same like neighborhood is that kind yeah, of stuff right? it does um and obviously fight club would be something that you would put in that same space and so like like i said it all sort of having not seen it in at least 10 years kind of congealed into this mass of worry but yeah i mean uh-huh. fucking travolta shows up in that car and he's talking about the royale with cheese and you're just like all right we're in it this is good actually so mm-hmm. it is it is good do you want to give a like quick general summary of what this movie is about sure um geez okay <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is probably yeah, like just, the just toughest <laughs> three sentence summary we could ever do but um you know just so, just the broad so strokes john travolta plays vinnie vega a hitman for marcellus wallace who works alongside his partner jules played by uh samuel l jackson um essentially we follow them and a series of interconnecting stories over the course of a couple of days in which we're introduced to a small-time couple of crooks, uh, mm. a boxer who's past his prime, uh, Marcellus Wallace's new wife, uh, various drug dealers, uh, Quentin Tarantino, all the gang. And things just sort of happen, and it's, you know, it's it's all wild and interconnected, and in the end, you get to see John Travolta just get blown the fuck up, and that's always nice. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's pretty yeah. good. You didn't remember that he gets absolutely, spoilers, he gets, like, ventilated in this film, <laughs> yeah, he right? Does. He is He is staking out the apartment of Bruce Willis's boxer character, Butch, who has who was intended to throw a match for Marcellus Wallace, but won the match and like rigged the bookie, so he basically stole a shitload of cash from Marcellus Wallace, right? Right. John Travolta is here after the fact, uh, staking out Butch's apartment, and we're we're in this from Butch's perspective. This is like the um like like the third major episode of the film right. and um butch comes in he he gets his 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 watch out of his apartment um he goes around sees a machine gun laying on the kitchen counter picks it up as he does you hear a toilet flush here comes travolta coming out of the bathroom they lock eyes and bruce willis just like unloads on him right, right. he he gets blasted back through the door blood splatters everywhere uh it is i think the first travolta death that we've had in this podcast we had one for cage a few weeks ago well we've had a couple for cage right he beeps it in vampire's kiss yeah he gets he gets thrown into the uh, deep fryer uh halfway through deadfall deadfall yeah yeah, and I think that's it. But this is our this is our first of many, I believe, uh, Travolta deaths. I, actually, I don't think it is because he gets he gets it in Carrie, right? Like, oh yeah, does, yeah, I guess yeah, so. The, huh? The prom scene, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. I guess I guess he does die like off screen in Carrie, right? Or like yeah. like he gets like an implied and yeah. uh, 
crowd death, you know. Uh, but but this is our first like full frontal on-screen Travolta beef that we have so far. Yeah, shot to just fucking ribbons. It's 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 amazing. <laughs> and yeah, I, I didn't remember it. I think I didn't remember it because as we were watching this, like the sequence of events as I remembered them are pretty much like almost inverted. I I, I remembered that at the end he's with Sam Jackson in the diner. But I thought uh-huh. the whole thing with, like, Marvin and all that was, like, way earlier. I thought, like, sure. the Uma Thurman stuff was way later in the movie. Like, I just... So, like, that whole middle part with Butch after... Like, after Butch leaves his hotel room, from mm-hmm. there to, like, when he gets captured by uh, by Zed and the Gimp... Um, Mm-hmm. Like that was all blank for me. Um, so it was a pleasant surprise to see Travolta get <laughs> shot to pieces, which is like horrible to say, but like it's just, uh-huh. it was so out of nowhere for me because I wasn't expecting it. And I was like, oh, fuck. He yeah. does eat it in this movie, and it's kind of great. And you can tell they're like having fun with this, right? Oh, yeah. Like this is this is a movie that's fairly fun to watch. Seems like it was pretty fun to make. I am. Um, I want to get your opinion, and maybe we can use this as sort of a gateway into conversation for the rest of this episode. What, off the cuff, would you say are your favorite and least favorite episodic sequences in this film? I mean, it's got to be Christopher Walken, right? Like, as my favorite. Um, (laughs) Okay, interesting, yeah. When he... We were talking about it and laughing at it as he's giving his monologue he just can't help himself he's just Mm -hmm. he's trying to be normal and he just can't do it like the voice is just oh it's it it like slips out yeah it's almost like a parody of himself (laughs) like it's Mm -hmm. it's it's like watching an impressionist do it and it's just so fucking funny and it just Mm -hmm. it rules so much i i love that um i love Pretty much every time Sam Jackson is on screen, I think he's just fucking great. Like, he uh-huh. is... More than anyone in this movie, he is carrying this and he is fucking killing it. He is so good in this. Absolutely, um, yeah. I could kind of do without a lot of the... Just the Uma Thurman stuff. I don't think she's... Really? Like, I like her and Travolta together, but, like, I feel like the... Mm-hmm. the the subplot just kind of doesn't go anywhere right like uh-huh i i i, I want a more or not a more clear resolution because there is one but like i just feel like there isn't the consequence to it for travolta that i would like there to be i guess i just uh-huh i don't know like it it just didn't do it for me the way i was hoping um I yeah. I th- I think that may actually be my favorite part really? of this film. The um yeah, the the Vincent Vega and Mia Wallace section. I um I couldn't really tell you why is the thing. Sure. I I I think I just really like Uma Thurman first off. I, sure. I love I love her in a lot of the stuff she's in. And I think like really we we, we joke about this a bit, but Seeing Travolta like really hold his own in this film is is a genuine joy for me, right? And I am, um, I think for me the thing about this movie is like, 
so 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 to go out of order here, which which you know uh, appropriately fits this film, I think the 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 Bruce Willis storyline is probably the part of this movie I could take or leave the most. Right? Sure. Yeah. I, I I don't think he has as much screen presence as the other people in this film. I had completely forgotten about the bit in the motel room with like where he's talking to like his girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. And and I think like of the things that have aged probably like top three, the worst in this film is using like sexual assault as like a shock plot line in this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I get that. Um, I get that this movie is called very heavily from like exploitation films, you know, like American pulp films and that sort of thing. You know, you want to talk about rape revenge films, which, which, you know, you get into a little bit with his kill bill movies. Um, like I get, where it's pulling from so to speak like you've got the kind of you know weird hick confederacy people who are running this like disgusting backdoor operation with like the gimp and that sort of stuff but Mm -hmm. it, it it just doesn't really play for me but the point i'm trying to get around to here is that from the beginning of this film from the first moment it starts until the conclusion of the Vincent Vega Mia Wallace sequence, this movie is like hot, like 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 yeah. like scorching to the touch, right? Like it is so cool, it is so kinetic, it is so well written, finely tuned, and just like perfectly paced for that entire you know first forty minutes or whatever, like up until we hit the sequence where Christopher Walken gives him the ass watch, which is a great it's a great scene, right? It's, it's a great <laughs> but scene, it, but yeah, you, you you are right though. Like that that uh-huh. plot as a whole does um feel mm-hmm. kind of superfluous, especially in a movie that's two and a half hours long. Yeah, I think um I, I think that like when you hit the uh, when you hit the watch sequence, there's kind of a tonal shift, right? You move yes. into a sort of um different approach to to pulp and to that kind of exploitation right like you 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 move from this very languid like very cool cat like heroin like cocaine induced like you know kind of hazy with the vincent vega and mia wallace stuff into um something with 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 butch and um uh marcellus wallace which is a lot in more in your face and harsher, I think, right? Like, like it pulls from sort of a different tonal palette than the previous stuff did. But, um, the reason I like the, uh, the Mia Wallace and Vincent Vegas stuff is because more than anything else in this film is that it's almost all style, right? Like it sure. is, it is, um, probably, I think some of the most indulgences this movie has. Like, I think when you get into the, uh, the third act, you get a lot more of that. Like you said, there's the bad motherfucker wallet. There's the there's the monologues from Samuel L. There's Quentin Tarantino, unfortunately, showing up and saying the N word a bunch. <laughs> he hate to is, see it. He is relishing saying that word. It's real uncomfortable. Like I, f- I feel like there is so much in this film from him that you see a bit, uh, not so much in Jackie Brown, but in in some of his other stuff where. Quentin Tarantino wants you to know that he's like a cool white dude or whatever, right? Like he yeah. he he is making intimations about race in this film that I don't think it can support. He is like vaguely gesturing at stuff with this that never really comes to fruition. Like 
you see his wife in that sequence and she's black. You get like Mia Wallace and, you know, uh, I keep forgetting his name. Marcellus. Uh, Marcellus Wallace. Yeah, it, it, it's like maybe I'm out of my depth here, but I feel like Quentin Tarantino is really trying to get you to believe that he's like one of the cool kids with this movie. Right. And, and I, I think that's my least favorite part about it. Um, yeah. But, um, I, I kind of get where you, where you're coming from because yeah, like mm-hmm. they're throwing a lot of, a lot of N words around here. If he uh, hadn't said the N word, it would be fine. It would be fine. I wouldn't <laughs> think anything of it. Like there would be no problem. I barely even notice anything. It would be fine. But the fact that he immediately shows up and starts dropping it just because he can, yeah. it's like, dude, chill out. Like, I don't know what you're going for here, but it, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, like, he says it, like, five times in the space of 30 seconds. Like, the only word in this entire movie, I feel like, that's said more than the N-word is the word foot. And, like... Yeah. That's Quentin Tarantino because he loves that. But, like, I, I, I do think, like, the idea of vaguely gesturing at things is sort of the Quentin Tarantino way <laughs> yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. And it it is 100% like him trying to be, like, the cool guy or whatever. But the thing is that, like, he convinced people he was, and I feel like that's the yeah. biggest part of the problem. Yeah, the right? worst part. The worst part is that it worked, right? But yeah. um, that's kind of all in the back half. But um, the 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 grand roundabout on this is that I really like a lot of the stylistic stuff and the Vincent and Mia portion. Yeah. I love their whole conversation at the uh, the burger the burger joint and all that. I um. I love the scene of uh, John Travolta going in to buy heroin when he's like in the house and like appraising these bags, like he's trying to pick out a fucking new car and shit yeah. like that. Uh, just, just really good stuff from him in general. And I think that he, more than anything of this film, is intended to sell you on how cool this is, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. I mentioned how how this film is like hot. Uh, like, if you saw this in the '90s in the theater it would blow you away, right? Just just right off the bat, it, it pulls no punches. And um, I think at that time, that's kind of its greatest strength and its greatest weakness is how willing it is to be sort of in your face with its style, you know? Yeah, like, it's, it's definitely something that you would not have been ready for in 1993 1994 whenever it was this came out right like this is mm-hmm. definitely something that like it's a water cooler movie in a lot of ways you know that like yeah. you go like oh man you hear about pulp fiction god you see that fucking movie it's yeah, wild this, the shit this, they do this, like this movie from from just like a history perspective this movie is postmodern filmmaking entering the mainstream, right? Pretty like much. the ref- yes, exactly. The, the referential techniques, the non-chronological order, like like just all of it is is the moment that this film style erupts and the landscape of cinema is never the same. Like I, I felt this way less as we watched it, but for that first stretch I was thinking to myself, if you wanted to point to to, you know, American contributions to, to, to cinematic culture writ large, I would argue that this is a movie you could point to for that, right? Like, like say what you will about this film and Quentin Tarantino and, and what you should say about this film and Quentin Tarantino, but I, I don't think it can really be 
underestimated or understated what a massive impact this movie had on the way films were made going forward. Right. Like, it is the movie of the 90s, I feel like. It is the movie that, like, in many ways defined the style of, like, prestige cinema for a good while. Um, mm-hmm. And still, to some extent, like, you still see its DNA in movies today, but, like, for a good while, it was this, like, bastion of just, like, creativity and just thinking outside the box and, like, nobody is making movies like this and uh-huh. this, is, this is the movie that, like, changed the game or whatever, right? Like, it, it definitely feels like that. Like, it is... I, I I hate to say it, but like it it is a Library of Congress type movie in some sure. ways because it yeah, does totally. have it does have that just look and feel, and it did introduce these topics or these uh, themes and the style to a wider audience in a way that maybe didn't exist outside of independent cinema or art house cinema, like. Mm-hmm. For a mainstream movie, like this was something that. I could see people's minds being blown by if it was 1994. Um, and obviously neither of us have like a reference for that in a lot of ways because I was a very small child and you weren't born yet, but like, you <laughs> yeah. know, like just it, barely, it just, that, just like, barely missed it. That it is that right. Like it, it is the mm-hmm. movie that defined its generation of cinema to some extent. And yeah, yeah, totally. Like you want to talk about big movies from the nineties. I I think for me, the first three that come to mind are like this, honestly, probably the first scream and like the matrix, right? Like, yeah, I think so. I, I think those are all just, just films that in their respective wheelhouses had a massive impact. And, um, I, uh, you know, watching this, like I said, it's easy to see why I, um, I don't know at this point, this sort of, I think referential moving making, especially from Tarantino is really hit or miss. But at this point, there's enough that he kind of pulls from and cobbles together and uses that all kind of clicks together as an artist where it is this like wholly unique product. Right. And, um, he he takes the same approach in the Kill Bill movies, which, you know, I never shut the fuck up about. <laughs> but, like, he does the same thing with, you know, uh, um, like, kung fu movies, other exploitation films. Like, right. you know, like, I Spit on Your Grave, Django, um, you know, Five Deadly Venoms, David Carradine's, like, kung fu series, uh, Lady Snowblood, you know. So right. there's... There, and, and, and Kill Bill, if... Like, if you know where to look, there's a lot of stuff that he has kind of cobbled together. And I think um, it just sort of depends on your degree of media literacy or film literacy. But watching Pulp Fiction, I don't really get that impression, right? Like, I don't get the idea that this is a film that he has kind of patched together as a greatest hits of, like, exploitation cinema or crime cinema, right? And it may be. Like, it may be, because I don't know enough about those genres, but I, uh, I I feel like, for me, knowing what I know about his latter films, this film hits so well because it is a really, 
well done marriage of his tendency to like borrow things as an artist and like you know repurpose soundtracks and repurpose lines of dialogue and like themes uh to make this experience you know um so i think it just strikes a good balance between his good tendencies as a filmmaker and maybe his not so good tendencies as a filmmaker right sure yeah i mean i am not like an expert at all on exploitation cinema but pulp fiction to me feels like stylistically like you said it's not lifting um you know things in the way that kill bill is it's not like a greatest hits uh now that's what i call movies kind of uh-huh. compilation boiled down into one thing it's instead sort of this pastiche of the aesthetic of a lot of um different forms of exploitation right like mm-hmm. sam jackson is very clearly a like does like he very clearly is there looking and dressed up and styled like a black exploitation character travolta mm-hmm. is you know like like that kind of gangster movie guy uma thurman you've got the like sexploitation sort of like aesthetic and look in her like whole story like, yeah totally like it, it, it i can't speak to specific movies in the way that like you can with you know kill bill or whatever where like you don't even really need to know that much about movies to like look at kill bill and see lucy Liu and go like oh that's lady snowblood right like it's 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 sure, much more yeah. it's direct. like a one for one yeah yeah um Whereas with Pulp Fiction, I feel like maybe it's just, like I said, the fact that I don't know exploitation cinema super well, but like, it definitely mm-hmm. feels more like a pastiche than like direct tribute to certain movies. But maybe I'm wrong on that. Like, I- I'm sure somebody listening to this is more well educated <laughs> on exploitation cinema. They're than listening we are. to this, like, just screaming yeah. right now, like, you fucking idiots. It's yeah, this please, movie, this movie, and please, this movie. Uh, please email us and scream at us and uh, yeah. I'll forward that to Ryan. <laughs> Like I um I I know uh I know off the bat that the um the briefcase is sort of a general reference right like like the MacGuffin yeah. of this film is a um is a sort of like briefcase that belongs to Marcellus Wallace uh, we never see what's inside of it but we see it open twice and what we know about it is that the lock code on it is six 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 and whatever is in there is casting a yellow light out right. of it, right? Yes. Um, we know we know Vincent Vega stares at it for a while, and when uh, Tim Roth opens it, he's like, oh, it's beautiful, you know? Um, and so I think uh, there are a lot of theories if you want to get into, like, Tarantino fandom, you know, <laughs> like Tarantino, uh, you know, movies and that kind of thing. There is a theory that the briefcase contains Marcellus Wallace's soul, right? Have you ever heard this theory? I have not heard this theory. Uh, what I know of it is is pretty is pretty simple. Um, you know, the, the briefcase is labeled six six six. Whatever is in there is like this ethereal glowing object, mm-hmm. uh, and we know that Marcellus Wallace has a huge band aid on the back of his neck, right? Like that That's is where right. his soul yes. has been ex- extracted. You know, right. but um, 
what I'm getting to here is that uh, the, the mysterious briefcase is is a direct reference to the film Kiss Me Deadly from 1955, where there is also kind of a um, you know mysterious suitcase that had a glow coming out of it. So there are a few uh, fairly direct references um, like this. Like some of these, I think, are a bit of a stretch. Uh, uh, someone is saying that the three-story plot structure of Pulp Fiction is influenced by Mario Bava's anthology film Black Sabbath. And, like, I guess, but, like, just anthology films exist, you know? Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think you can say, like, this mm-hmm. is an anthology, therefore it's a tribute to this other anthology. I don't think that quite works. Like, that would mm-hmm. be like saying, I don't know fucking like that terrible horror anthology amusement is a tribute to pulp fiction because they're both fucking anthologies like it doesn't work like that you can't just Mm -hmm. say that for me see i was gonna suggest the um the the briefcase had a copy of a a dvd of borat because that's also Um, yeah i think um i think one of the screenwriters have just said like it's diamonds or something probably like a gold bar like i always interpret it as like oh there's just gold bars in there or something it doesn't really matter in the long run right because it is it is just a macguffin um i'm scrolling down this list a little bit more and i think there's kind of a stretch uh I think a lot of these are kind of reaching. There's one that says this movie references Clockwork Orange because the sexual assault scene has a gag, like a ball gag, and there's also pop music used to contrast the scene. I think that's just like filmmaking, you know? Yeah, I think I, I, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, saying that when Butch picks up the chainsaw, that's a Chainsaw Massacre reference. I mean, I guess, you know? <sighs> uh, whatever. Anyway, yeah, um... Good movie. Uh, there, there was a point I wanted to get to here eventually, but I feel like I've kind of lost the plot a little bit. Oh, there is one thing that I feel like is maybe not an intentional reference, but I really like when um, Travolta and Uma Thurman are sitting in the car outside Jackrabbit Slims. It's like the uh, drive-in shots from Greece, where they're oh, um, sitting at the movie theater. Uh, <laughs> I, I I I knew you were gonna say that, but I thought you were gonna say it reminded you of when he pulls up with his girlfriend and Carrie. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. You know, cars, references, etc., yeah. etc. How do you? Um, I don't know. I was thinking about it as we watched the movie, and this is definitely something I never would have realized without the hindsight on this film is that I feel like there's a lot of thematics in this about masculinity. Oh, um, yeah. Absolutely. The, the first time I really, really noticed it was during the, um, during like the Bruce Willis stuff, because you get Christopher Walken coming in and he tells this whole long winded story about how this, you know, watch was passed down from Butch's grandfather to like his, his father. And, you know, his father died in Vietnam and Christopher Walken had to hide this watch up his ass for five years. I held this watch up my ass when your dad died of dysentery, (laughs) you know, uh, which was a great detail. I had never caught before watching this film. Uh, again, cannot be stressed how good Christopher Walken is in this scene. He's incredible. He, so good. He is, he is trying to keep himself under control as much as possible, <laughs> but like as it goes on, you hear his voice just like jumping up more and more and like it like the accent coming out. But um 
you know, there's this um, there's this running thematic, which is most obvious in Bruce Willis's story of this kind of genealogy of this heritage of this watch, which is passed down from man to man in this family. You know, uh, a, a big point of his like story is that his his pride or at least like it's implied it's sort of mentioned by marcellus wallace like not to let his pride prevent him from throwing this match right and so right yes he he does end up winning the match he kills the other guy um he he's very rough and tumble like very traditionally masculine uh and then he has kind of this like whole freak out about the watch being back at left at his apartment as him and his girlfriend are trying to flee the city uh, and that's sort of what sets off the rest of his storyline, right? Is that he he can't let go of this symbol of like male inheritance from this family, right? And it manifests as like, uh, you know, maybe I'm bringing too much into this, but it manifests as like these 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 bouts of anger he has. It manifests as this like pride that he can't let go, and it's sort of you know inverted, I think, very intentionally by the sexual assault later on. When you know he he as a man is kind of placed in this, you know, quote unquote, very very shocking threat of penetration, right? Like that is that is like what sort of puts the cap on the story for him, and um, you know, it's something I have to sit with a while to really kind of dig into. But one of the last scenes in this movie is Vincent Vega and um, Jules leaving this diner after foiling this heist and they're shoving their huge guns down the front of their yeah, like, boxer shorts. Right in front of their dicks. Like right It's like down the, the last dick. shot of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure other people have written about this. I'm sure there's like an academic article, but it's something I never would have picked up on watching this when I was, you know, like 16, 15 years old, right? Right. Um yeah. but but I think it I do think it crops up every now and again. Like um uh, Tarantino's character, he he has a tone of voice, which I think is like more stereotypically effeminate, like kind of submissive in a way where he's like, Oh sure, Mr. Wolf, sir, like that kind of thing. And and he's kind of like an asshole. I, I, I don't know. There's just, there's just something there to it for me. And it's going to be something I think about if I watch this movie again. Yeah, it, it's definitely there. And I mean, you could almost even contrast like Tarantino's character with Winston Wolf when he does show up because mm-hmm. Winston Wolf is sort of this um, ideal, right, of like the man, right? Like he is. Yeah, he is the he man. Is, he is suave and in control and commanding. He's the alpha male. He's dressed in like a tuxedo from the minute you see him. He drives a fancy car. The women can't resist themselves around him like he is just this like perfect in control dominant ultra competent dude who shows up he gets his shit done and he's out of there right like he is sort of this ideal that the movie is sort of positing to contrast with you know sort of the opposite in tarantino's character with the struggles that bruce willis has you compare that to the like inherent insecurity that you see samuel l jackson go through during the movie with the like faux machismo that you know travolta is bringing throughout here where he's trying to portray himself as more competent and confident than he actually is mm-hmm. like it, it is it is 100 percent um 
one of those themes that runs through the movie. You could even say with Chris Walken, uh, like he sort of embodies it quite, not quite at the same level as Winston Wolf, but like he is, he is the survivor. He is the man who showed the loyalty, you know, like he, he has a lot of those same traits, but Winston Wolf is like him actualized to the like highest degree to some extent. Sure. Um, so it, it it is like definitely a movie that is constantly just dealing with and thinking about the idea of masculinity. Um, and like you said, that is definitely not something you would pick up on when you see this movie when you're 15, 16 years old. Or <laughs> no. it's definitely no. <laughs> not the kind of thing you're picking up on if you're going on like bad HTML 2.0 websites in 2008 yeah. and buying a bad motherfucker wallet, right? Like, oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, I've had a lot of psychological baggage to unpack between the yeah. first time I saw this and now. So, yeah, exactly. you know, j- 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 just kind of running through the uh, numbers on that one. Yeah. But um, I think it's interesting. It's nice to have another movie where we can kind of talk about the themes, you know, like uh, Raising yeah. Arizona and Wild at Heart and Blowout and all that. <laughs> it's yeah. nice to have a movie that, like, has a point and, like, is actually making it for mm-hmm. once. Yeah, I am. Um, I... I love this movie soundtrack, to be honest. That's so um, good. It's great, yeah. I, for me, it's it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation, right? Because I was exposed to the soundtrack very early on, but then after I had gotten out of college, I got really into, like, you know, surf rock and lounge music and all that sure. kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, like just, just separately, right? Just because I like the way it sounds, you know, I got big into all that kind of scene. And, um... Then I come back to this movie and I'm like, oh shit, I recognize like all of these surf rock tracks in this and I didn't realize that they were featured in here, right? Like, I don't know, it it doesn't have anything to do with anything and it's just kind of a little personal story, but regardless of that, the soundtrack for this is like cool, right? Like, Oh yeah, totally. this, This film... Under no circumstances do you have to hand it to Quentin Tarantino. This film tries to be cool, and by and large, it it does succeed at many, many points. And I think the soundtrack is a good example of that. You get um you get a lot of like 60s surf rock, you get some old, like um I don't know what you would call it, like old rock like stuff. Roll, yeah, like yeah, just, rock and roll, like rockabilly kind of yeah, stuff. Like 50s yeah. style rock. Um you get a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Like I definitely associate a lot of the music in this primarily with this movie, right? Like Sure. Yeah. You could you could almost like get away with <laughs> walking up to me and telling me that this was like original music. Like you could almost sure. almost sure, do that totally. because I it's like so mm-hmm. in my mind at least so heavily like synonymous with pulp fiction, but yeah, totally. Like like Miserloo at the beginning, yeah, uh, where where they that. do the cold open and it goes barrel yeah. as the title comes in. Yeah, just yeah. just a hell of a statement to start your movie on. It is. It's 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 a bold statement in a movie that is just like immediately very bold, and I kind of respect it for just uh-huh. just being so up up front and just like confident in itself. I I do think, like we said, there is. There is that just 
little bit of it feeling now in 2021 like oh dog you are trying a little too hard to be cool absolutely yeah there the the script for this movie is by and large very well done but there are definitely a few lines here and there where i was like okay this is like quipping at this point like (laughs) like it there's a handful of times where it, it, it it traverses over from being like you know well done tarantino dialogue but and moves into like quips or they go on these diatribes where I'm like, knowing what I know about Quentin Tarantino, you hate to hear it. Like the whole foot massage right. thing at the very beginning. Um, really bad for me to hear. And then the subsequent revelation uh, during the scene where the girlfriend of Bruce Willis is talking about wanting like a pot belly and that kind of thing. Like you really feel like this is Tarantino, like speaking directly into your ear and it drives me fucking nuts. Like I hate it. <laughs> Yeah, knowing what what a like freak he is, and yeah. like not to shame Sucks people ass. who have like certain no. fetishes that he has, but like he's such a he's a real freak about it, and it, it's yeah. it's it's like when you see death proof and you see the f- just feet up out of the car and you're like oh immediately man like, wait uh, wait until we watch kill bill you're gonna yeah, you're gonna get like, a kick out of that one like it's i i i understand you know you have you you have the things you like everybody does that's cool i don't need to hear the word foot two dozen times in the first five minutes of your movie mm-hmm. and it's okay for uma thurman to wear shoes sometimes you don't have to have her barefoot for like <laughs> the entire movie it's it's yeah. just a little much you know it's just a little bit too much you need to yeah you need totally. to chill a little bit sometimes you know like it's you don't have to have your dick in your hand 24 7 you know it's just <laughs> It's it's okay yeah. not to. It's yeah. okay like, not to. Like I said, this film having a very bold stylistic palette is both its greatest strength and at times its <laughs> greatest weakness. Absol- you know, because absolutely. what he's doing here at times is like nothing else that's ever been done, but maybe there's a reason it hasn't <laughs> and should not be done. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So God. just something to think about. Yeah, uh, something that I was not expecting because I did not know he was in this movie mm-hmm. when, when Steve Buscemi showed up. Oh yeah. I was so yeah, happy. Yeah, yeah. I was so happy. Like it, it's a tiny role. He's just like a waiter at the restaurant that Uma Thurman and John Travolta go to, but you, you mm-hmm. see him and you hear the voice and you're just like, Oh, Take thank me God. Back, Steve. Thank yeah. God you got to be in something that isn't an Adam Sandler movie. Like, oh, you love yeah. to see it. You love to see it him does. in anything. It does make me want to revisit Reservoir Dogs and see if that is as good as I remember it being, you know? Yeah. I yeah. um I, I don't remember much of that film aside from liking the fact that he's in it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that movie's maybe another one, kind of like Pulp Fiction, where you kind of have to side-eye it a little bit in mm-hmm. in 2021, but uh, it has been I a long fucking time. I don't remember anything about it, to be honest. Yeah, it's been a long fucking time since I've seen that, so I can't really comment on it very much. Um, but yeah, I think this movie, Pulp Fiction, is good, right? Like, yeah. Controver- yeah, controversial good. statements. Pulp Fiction <laughs> is still good in 2021. It's just maybe not quite the movie that people would want you to think it was 10 years ago. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. It, it is. It is quite enjoyable. I'll say it is. It's 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 a really good time. I mean, this movie's the same length as Sex in the City too, which is like always oh, the like this really movie long felt movie tempo that I I reach for. But like this God. movie felt like it was like ninety minutes, right? Oh, like yeah, like totally. th- there are a couple parts where I think it maybe drags like a tiny tiny bit, but you don't feel that length at all so you watch something like sex in the city too and that movie feels like it's six hours right so you know really uh, really nails it with the pacing yeah you know you you could probably cut most of the bruce willis stuff you could probably cut this down to an hour 50 two hours and it would be just i think better i think like 210 probably like in that neighborhood like right but like yeah you could you could trim some fat off this but even Mm. with the little bit of bloating it's got and and the little bit of excess i still think this is very strong i think it is definitely one of the best movies we've done so far this season i think it is comfortably better than the 2006 comedy movie borat um oh yeah 100 percent. this movie is like i don't know uh this movie is like the equivalent of 25 borats like you'd have to you'd have to wring a lot of a lot of substance out of a borat to get an equivalent amount of good content to what's here yeah absolutely um yeah i think as i've always thought since i've watched this movie i think samuel l jackson is just fucking phenomenal in this movie. I think he is For so sure, great. Yeah. He's so great. Uh, Travolta in his his best, his most likable, his most human performance that we've seen yet. You want to hear something really depressing? Sure. <laughs> this is the best Travolta performance we're ever going to see for this podcast. It is all downhill from here. Oh, God. Actually, I don't know that. I, I, think, I think when we get to like... Uh, the big centerpiece film of this podcast. He also turns in a pretty good one for that. He does. Like, he does. Beyond that, I can't possibly imagine what he has to offer us. He, he turns in some performances that are enjoyably terrible, I would say, going mm-hmm. forward in some stuff that we'll watch, such as one where maybe he plays uh, an alien um, of sorts. Uh, I think think you know what I'm talking about, where he's pretty magnificent for all the wrong reasons. But yeah, it it is kind of a bummer to know that we've still got like six months of this to go. And he's not going to get any better. This is it. This is the peak. This is the peak. This is John Travolta, the movie star. And from here on, it's just a sad, slow decline into... Oh my god, that's so depressing. <laughs> into where we're going from... Oh I mean, he, he has, like, movies going forward that are critically acclaimed that he is in, right? But, like... Sure. No- nothing that is ever on the level of quality or impact as as this film, right? Like, I see, looking looking at this list that we have, after this, I see charitably three movies with him that could be called, quote, good. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that's it. Like, that's it. Uh, like, 
like probably about four if we're being honest but I'm, the number honestly, the number is quite small i'm i'm looking at it and i'm seeing like two here that might be mm-hmm. called good and then the rest i'm just like ooh. yeah so some four. of these <laughs> some of the latter ones i don't know if we'll enjoy but i know they were critically well received for what they were right so we'll we'll find out how that goes we'll see we'll see um god i'm 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 really kind of excited that we're now past the past the peak for him because (laughs) because i think his his most interesting work is when he's really bad i think like yeah i agree like full ham we've seen like minor travolta ham so far but we are going to reach catastrophical, unsustainable levels of hammery in this podcast from him going forward. Yeah, what once you like cross into the new millennium, it just it 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 just it it's like an avalanche or like a snowball or whatever. Like it's just rolling down that hill and mm-hmm. it's just picking up every piece of garbage that is like <laughs> on the way down. Um, yeah. yeah, very excited to see what our boy John Travolta has for us going forward. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I think the next Travolta movie we're doing is supposed to be pretty good, so I'm looking forward yeah. to that. Um, yeah, it is. But you know what else I think is pretty iconic and pretty good is John Travolta's look in this movie. Absolutely, yeah. It is, I mean, the hair is just incredible. It's when all he, time when he's got it like slicked back and he's got it pulled into this ugly little ponytail and he's got the <laughs> bolo tie and you're just like, he's got like the strand that's just coming down on the side of his face. It's, it's incredible stuff. Like it is, it's so good. It, it is very I, high I, on the wigometer for me. Yeah. That's why, I, that's why I got my earpiece is so I could um, get the Travolta look going by the time we got to this movie. And you know what? I kind of did. My <laughs> hair is not, my hair is not long enough to put in the gross ponytail, uh, but it's almost there. And once it is long enough, I will absolutely be doing that. And um, I think my, I have the other side of my ears pierced than Travolta does, but eventually I'll get them both done anyway. So it doesn't matter. I don't have the big gold hoop though, and I don't have a bolo tie, so kind of really? an L for me on that okay. one. No, that no, I don't. A, wow, some Texan you are not having a bolo tie. Honestly, <laughs> I guess so, huh? I I, th- I think a a John Travolta as Vinny Vega costume would be great for you uh, for Halloween mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, I, th- I think you. I'm would sure rock no that one's look. ever done that before. <laughs> no, but uh, l- listen, it's a classic uh-huh. for a reason. I think it would suit you. I think. Uh-huh. I, I think you could I'm, rock it. I, th- I think I think you should maybe look you, at that. You say that. I am like 90% sure my parents did Vincent Vega and Mia Wallace for Halloween like two years ago. <laughs> or the year before that. Like within the last four years, they have done that as a couple's costume. Oh, God. Well, you, you'll make them proud then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on a scale of one to five, five dollar milkshakes, Nile, what are you giving Pulp Fiction? I'm going to say a four, I think. Um, yeah. Like I said, I think this holds up way better than I expected it to. It's not perfect. And mm-hmm. I definitely wouldn't say it is a movie that 
uh, I would hold up there as an all-time classic, but, like, it is... It is a good fucking time. Like, it's not an all-time classic in my eyes, right? Like, in my, like, personal taste. But then again, I would hold up fucking ricochet and resident (laughs) exactly i think i think in the cultural in the cultural consciousness like it or not this movie is like a a a modern classic so to speak like this it's an iconic film this is going to be in like the cinematic canon and i agree uh i i think like i think four stars is is a pretty safe play for me on this one i can't in good conscience, give it like four and a half, right? And it's definitely not a five, but it is like a very, very strong four for me. Like this movie, yeah. despite the problems I have with it, uh, despite thinking that the Bruce Willis stuff doesn't really hit as well as the rest of the film, I I, I think otherwise it's, it's great. You know, like it's a good time mm-hmm. to sit down and watch. You watch this with like a group of people who are on board and it's going to be a fun time, you know? Absolutely. It goes down easy. It's super easy to watch. It's probably great with an even larger group than just the two of us. Yeah, like seeing this in a theater would be a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Still, I think also really looks good, you know, like... Yeah, yeah, totally. Could totally see this on like a 4k someday like this yeah. has held up visually very well very I, well constructed very well constructed very well directed very well performed yeah i, th- I think it's i think it's it's definitely a, a really good time and if if like me and and you to a lesser extent i guess you were super worried about would pulp fiction hold up it it still holds up pretty well it's still worth watching it's still worth taking yeah. a look at yeah, if you've um, never seen it, you know, keep uh, keep keep the keep the shit in mind. But uh, I, I I recommend it. You know. Yeah. Now I did say earlier that I think this movie is better than Borat, but I don't know if we got an answer on that question from you. Um, oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah it's, it's yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> Weirdly enough, uh, this movie better than Borat. We're putting our foot down on it. Um, yeah, I guess that about does it for Pulp Fiction, which means Ryan. Next week we're we're back with Nick Cage with a movie that um mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know a lot about it it doesn't seem to be very well beloved I look at the cast list and I see the names John uh-huh. Lovitz and Dana Carvey and I'm like John Lovitz and Dana Carvey and I'm really really scared uh 1994's Trapped in Paradise I put this on the list so we would suffer. I will be honest. Uh, maybe it's actually good. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, the fact that it was a Nicolas Cage film with Dana Carvey as a main character was like catnip to me. I could not resist putting this on the roster and seeing what shakes loose. Well, it's it's also got Madchen Amick from, uh, mm-hmm. from Twin, uh, Peaks. Twin Peaks. Yeah, in it. and it is two hours long, so I'm fucking terrified <laughs> of a two-hour-long the- comedy with Nick Cage and Dana Carvey. <laughs> <laughs> the main characters are called the Furpo Brothers. The Furpo so keep Brothers, that- yeah. Uh, there, there is a two-sentence summary. We don't even have to do the three-sentence summary next week because Letterboxd has done it already. The Furpo brothers can get away with anything. They just can't get away. I have no idea if this is going to be easily available for us. I have not checked. It is. Uh, it, we, it, it, it is. Okay. It, it, uh, All right. Yeah. 
it, it is available on Disney Plus uh, here. So Disney Plus on wow, Disney Plus. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A lot of weird movies uh, showing up on Disney Plus lately over here uh, since they uh, rolled out their like for adults uh-huh. section. Um, what was it? There was like some fucking like fucked up horror movie or something. I, there was something on my on my watch list. Uh huh recently that i saw on like disney plus and i was like that should not be on there they still have not done that over here as far as i know um right now it is still very much just like the common disney stable but the thing about it is that i um think there is a chance that they could put pulp fiction on disney plus because i'm pretty sure miramax is like under the umbrella of something known by disney yeah, I, I think I think Borat is on Disney Plus here, mm-hmm. um, which is terrifying. It was Stoker, by the way, was the movie I was thinking of. Uh, Park oh, Chan-wook. that's I've heard that movie's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just but just like seeing that it was on Disney Plus, I was like, all right, that doesn't seem right, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, next week, Trapped in Paradise, the horror of watching two hours of Dana Carvey and John Lovitz. Oh, I'm so scared, <laughs> Ryan. Um, that is, of course, provided that uh, our boy Sasha Baron Cohen doesn't give us a little present. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I may be rooting for SBC this time around. Uh, I, I may want to watch supplemental reportings more than Trapped in Paradise. Yeah, we got a scare this week. I thought I thought for a second there that it had been uploaded because I went to Prime Video just to make sure and I typed in Borat and it was there. And mm-hmm. it said it said you could play it, and I played it, and it was just the trailer, and I was just like, "Oh, thank God." Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe next week. We'll see. Um, but until then, Ryan, you do another show online. Where can people find it? Yeah, I uh, have another show, uh, Emoji Drome with Sylvie. Uh, we talk about emoji. You know, we crack jokes. We. Um do stupid shit, you know, love to do some stupid shit. I um, also have my Letterboxd account. If you want to follow me there, that's Sewer Peak, P-E-A-K. And then I have my Twitter account, which is at CurseGoat. I have a huge uh, guide to the Saw series of films that I just finished writing at the time of recording. Uh, so if you want to check that out keep an eye on my Twitter profile and I will tweet it when it is published, which should be pretty soon. I am, uh, I am probably going to go see spiral when that's out. So, uh, going to get to see my boy, Samuel L and Chris rock join the saw universe. Yeah. I, uh, I'm very excited to read your saw piece. Um, I've only seen like the first two or three saws and I hate them. Um, but you, sure. You, uh, Describe Saw as a series to me as if it is basically just silly shit happening at a, at a, like at a certain like, point, right? Like it's just wild yeah. shit. Like on its face, it's it's not very silly, right? Because the tone the tone always tends to shoot for like very you know trying to be edgy and like gruesome and all that. But the longer the films go, the more they unravel and just like can't support the weight of this bananas narrative because not to um. Uh, spoil saw i guess spoiler alert for the saw franchise they they kill jigsaw in the third film right they they Mm -hmm. kill him and he is dead like he does not come back like he is out of the franchise and i really respect them for keeping him out 
but what that means is that they rely on like flashbacks and like flashbacks within flashbacks and like retcons and like shoehorning characters in the previous films to like substantiate the fact that this jigsaw shit is still going for seven movies. And it really starts to get away from them around uh, Saw 5, which is 90 minutes of unparsable exposition solely for the purpose of retconning a character into the first three movies. It is like one of the craziest movies narratively I've ever seen, but um, I, I won't talk about it too much. Uh, just keep an eye out for that. If that's something y'all are interested in Niall, what are you up to these days? Uh, I'm also on letterboxd uh, at emo Christ. Uh, I've been working my way through a bunch of movies based on fighting video games lately. So uh, oh, hell yeah. That's that's been a time. One of which uh, found out like five minutes into watching it, I was like, "This feels like a Paul W. S. Anderson movie," and sure enough, he was the producer, but not the director. So I'm I'm like working on a theory. allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, I, I'm working on a theory that Paul W. S. Anderson directed the Dead or Alive movie. Uh, I've got my like cork board and my red string up here, um, but you can follow us uh, on Twitter at uh, at Borat Club. Um, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a like, a review, a rating, tell a friend. Uh, we only get to spread the show via word of mouth, so we really appreciate that um, when people do it. Next week, as we said, Trapped in Paradise. Very worried about it. Maybe Borat would rather, I think, like you, Ryan, watch Borat <laughs> instead. Um, but yeah, thank you as always, Ryan, for joining me for this. Uh, this was it's it's been great to watch good movie two weeks in a row that's such a rarity such a treat um thank mm -hmm. you at home for listening and yeah stay safe and we'll see you soon see you soon <laughs>